0: Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, Reiki Energy Master Teacher, Medium, and author of my newest book, A New Life Awaits, sharing an understanding of our universal connection to all of life, both here and beyond, and ways to align our energetic and physical world for greater efficacy. Today, I welcome Professor Stephen G. Post, author of God and Love on Route 80. By the way, I've been on Route 80 many times, <laughs> who, sh- who shares an astonishing true story of faith, love, and destiny for everyone who is beginning to suspect or already suspects that our universe and encounters are more meaningful than ordinary materialism or physical life allows us to embrace hello professor post and thank you for joining us on healing from within like you i have discovered life is not random and there are no coincidences only whispers from a creative life force of eternal life
1: hi cheryl A pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: You're very welcome. Stephen, as listeners of Healing From Within are well aware, my guests and I share intimate stories of discovering who we are and how a physical life enables the soul and heart of being to refine and hold greater love and compassion for living a happy, purposeful, healthy life. Beyond the duality of soul and physical life, There is only unity, goodness, and a gratitude for nature, man, spirit. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Professor Stephen Post will share how sometimes things happen that reveal an apparent pattern or plan or meaning to the workings of the world. An awareness of the eternal infinite mind beyond space and time that sustains the universe is with us, all the days of this life and beyond as we find God, redemption, forgiveness, and the understanding that we are all connected. Steve and I always love to ask my very astute and awakened authors to think back to their childhood and remember a person, place, or event that may have shown them the interest and lifestyle they would embrace as an adult and the life path they would follow. So think back for a minute.
1: Well, in, in my case, it really goes back to a dream I had when I was 15. Now, I don't know if that's early enough in life. That's early, that. yeah, yeah. Of course it is. And and that's really the basis of God and Love on Route 80, the hidden mystery of human connectedness, because it is about premonition and synchronicity. Uh I was actually uh, from Long Island, and I, at a very young age, about 12, went up to New Hampshire to a boarding school called St. Paul's. And unlike most of my friends up there, I was always interested in spiritual classics and all kinds of mystical kind of, sorts of writings. Uh, and And... When I was 15, I had a recurring dream in uh, uh, a year's period, a year window, and I had it six times. And can I tell them, I tell your audience, audience about the dream?
0: Tell us the dream, okay. of course.
1: Well, so it was early in the morning, and I really wasn't quite sure if I was fully awake or not, but it was kind of betwixt and between. Uh, and um, I would have this sort of dream premonition um, I would see a road to the west it was very hard to see far on the road because it was all filled with silvery gray mist and then out toward the end of the road I I saw to my left the contours of the face of a young man with very stringy dirty looking blonde hair and um, and then I an angel appeared, mainly the face of an angel, but with wings as well. And it said in a very uh, feminine, uh, empathic voice, if you save him, you too shall live. Because the youth was kind of leaning out over over an edge as if to jump, and I didn't know what to make of it. And so then all the mist, uh, all the silver gray went away, and uh, there was bright blue light, and the dream was over,
0: but you didn't forget that dream, did you? Because,
1: no well, I, you know because I guess it was
0: I, more than a dream. it was a spiritual visitation yeah it it
1: probably it probably was i I, I you know I, I, I always looked upon it as a mystery and as more than a dream because it recurred six times over a year. so if I had just had it once, I would have chalked it off to sort of an adolescent. Anxiety, <laughs> you know, yeah. a, a moment of dyspepsia, a bad hot dog, but, right? <laughs> you know, but it was actually more meaningful than that. And and I had a great uh, sacred studies teacher up there, uh, an Episcopal minister, Rod Wells, and we talked about the class, uh, about the, the dream in class with my various mates, and and he he actually uh, took me down from Concord to New Haven. Uh, And I talked about the dream in a class at Yale Divinity School. Uh, Again, I was a kid, uh, but it was a class on adolescent spirituality, and and so they really asked me lots of really great questions. Among among them, you know, what did it mean to you? And I said, well, we all read, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson's essay on the Oversoul up there at St. Paul's, but to me, it was more than just a piece of beautiful literature. It was also a truth about the connectedness of our minds, and that our minds—people didn't use the word "non-local mind" back then, like they do now with Larry Dossi and Deepak Chopra—but, but just the idea that our minds are not simply uh, uh, the the outcome of physical brain of cells of tissue, but that our minds are part of a larger consciousness. And 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 I told them that to me, the dream. Um, felt like it was this infinite mind kind of breaking through my everyday consciousness and it, was. It, <laughs> it and was it
0: was and it was exactly that you know as a medium uh i connect to that energy everything is energy every thought we have and every thought from spirit is an inspirational energy and it can never be destroyed so, yes, we are part of that divine, call it universal energy, God, spirit, whatever you want to call it, it exists. And it is guiding each of us, even through times like now, now we're living through, you know, a coronavirus, whoever thought that this was going to happen in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Nothing like this has ever happened in my lifetime. And uh, there are reasons. And there we have to... Uh, put aside any fear we have, ask for help from spirit, uh, be closer to our own intuitive feelings and not let the outside world dictate how we will think or how we will react. So you have learned that. You've learned it early in life. You started very early in life. See, I I didn't have this experience until 26 years ago when I was very sick with the flu very, very sick. So I was in the state you described, not quite up and not quite able to sleep and very uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, my grandfather was at my side, right at my right side. I knew it was him. It was a shadow, but I, I knew it was him. And he was saying to me, you have to write something for your father. And I woke up I said, what was that? It just felt not like any dream I had ever had. And, The next day, I received a call from my mother that my father had passed. And, of course, I wrote his eulogy. And uh, then I, years down the road, as I got more and more into the spiritual work and knew that consciousness survived physical death because it is part of this mind, not Mm non-local energy in mind, I I, um, was told that I had a right three books for my father, (laughs) Uh which I have done. My latest one just came out in the middle of all this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it's called A New Life Awaits, Uh Spirit-Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening, which is happening even now as you and I talk about these things. So many people are being uh, made aware that it's not fantasy, the real reality is our energy, our soul energy, and our connection to each other and eternal life. So uh, I just wanted to share that with no, you. No,
1: that's great. Congratulations. On that the new came book. Oh, my goodness. That, that, wow, what but, a life. Thank
0: you. But that came to me much later than you. I was born with this sense, as you were, but uh, I was not in a family and didn't have the training. And just was trying to fit into life, which was hard for me because I was different. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I was always a sensitive and a medium, and I had a job to do. And at the right oh. time, I discovered it, as we all do if we allow ourselves. But let's fast well, forward. Now... So w-
1: so you want to know what happened with the Yeah, dream, yeah. Right?
0: Now no, now I want to fast forward to that cross-country road trip,
1: <laughs> yeah, the spiritual
0: journey, and some of the things that led you to the discovery that a powerful force carries us towards our destiny. So fast gotcha. forward.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't sure what to make of the dream. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I did apply to Reed College in Portland, Oregon, which no kid from St. Paul's ever did. They all went to Ivy's and so forth. Um, just because I felt somehow compelled to go west. and uh, But I I decided not to do that. I applied to Swarthmore. I got in, and I was in the summer of my 17th year. I was home, and I had a job lined up to tutor kids in the Bronx. And I like tutoring kids because I'd done it in New Hampshire with some of the poor French Canadians, and, and it was really meaningful. But uh, my parents... Put their feet down. They said, You can't do that. It's too dangerous to tutor in the Bronx. And I don't think it was. But we went on for about three days and we had a big argument. My dad was the president of a furniture store in New York on Fifth Avenue that most people won't remember it was called W-N-A I do <laughs> <clones. laughs> I <Nice> do. <laughs> okay.
0: because because I was an interior I I have had many careers. <laughs> I've had many careers. I started as a teacher, but I, I was an interior designer and managed oh. a very large furniture showroom. And oh. uh, so we have synchronicity, you and I
1: <laughs> There we do. Yes. So my dad my dad he knew all the manufacturers around Greater New York who made, you know, lamps, lampshades. Yeah desks and so I, I so after three days my mother said look we're not going to cover you for Swarthmore if you insist on going into the Bronx and I finally relented and I looked up and I said now dad what am I going to do this summer I was pretty angry I was very angry and he said well I can get you a job in okay you ready for this Cheryl Bill De bono's lampshade factory <laughs> <laughs> which was in Patchogue and, <laughs> And so I, drew, I drove my dad's pretty rickety Mercedes 190 to Patchog for two weeks, and I worked in an assembly line cutting cardboard. Ugh. And Bill DeBona was there with his big cigar, and I had my Siddhartha book in my pocket, and, and, and this was just not my thing. So one Friday night, I drove east on the Sunrise Highway. And I spent the evening with my friends. I had some friends in West Hampton Beach who were from school. And about um, about 11 o'clock, I said, look, I'm going to drive west. I'm just going to drive west because I think there was something to that dream. And the other thing is that this argument with my parents is so bad, and I'm not going to spend one more day working to build the Bono's lampshade factory. You look
0: Bold and brave, wow.
1: <laughs> well, 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 there was a pull, but there was also a push. I mean, the push was <laughs> I was not going to settle for this that summer. So I drove, I, drove, uh, I drove west, Sunrise Highway. I took the Southern State. I got on the LIE. I went through the Midtown Tunnel. And I actually, for the first time in my life, I drove across the George Washington Bridge. And then there were two signs. One said 95 South, but there was no South in the dream. And the other sign said, Route 80 West. I said, that's me. <laughs> so I, I drove on Route 80 West. And about five in the morning, I was in the middle of Pennsylvania, somewhere near Lewisburg, and I was beginning to doubt myself. I thought, you know, I'm going to do a U-turn over the Midway and I'm going to get home before my reputation is completely trashed. But yeah. lo and behold, at that point, at just at that point, generator cars in those days had generators they don't now but when the generator went out you had no electricity no power the engine was dead so i just everything was just suddenly gone and i managed to get over on the right shoulder it this there's just a little bit of 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 early morning light and i look out there's miles and miles of cornfields and there's no phone booths nothing so i did what a <laughs> What a kid would do, I pulled a piece of paper out of the glove compartment and I wrote to the, in pencil, to the Pennsylvania State Police. <laughs> <laughs> I, this I was very, that... <laughs> very oh, yeah.
0: creative. Very creative.
1: I said, please return this car to Henry A. V. Post, 44 Davis and Lane, East West Islip, New York, five one six 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 nine five six five five from his son Stephen, who no longer works in the lampshade factory.
0: <laughs> Wonderful.
1: And I put it on the on on the you know uh, you know behind the windshield where the police would see it. I took my classical guitar, um, my Siddhartha book, and my 50 bucks uh, in my wallet. Put my thumb out, and this big white truck came by, and a guy flung the door open, and they said, "Where are you going?" And I said, "West." And he said, "I'll get you to Chicago." I'm going to cut this short, but basically. What happened was I spent the summer in the Mission District, and I was a member of the Nichiren Shosho Buddhist Temple, where they chant Nam Yoho, Renge Kyo, and mm-hmm. I lived with my cousin George Lamont, who was a, a former Green Beret, and and I and and, and just a great guy.
0: So do you the... do you think it was a coincidence that you ended up there for that spiritual summer? That uplifted you and 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 emboldened you to go on with your future. Do you think it was a coincidence?
1: Oh oh no, I don't because because of I just not. I, <laughs> not at all and and George was was he you know he was a North Carolina grad, just a tremendously interesting guy and and so i I spent a lot of time playing classical guitar via lobos, Tarega, granados, and Hispanic restaurants in the Mission district, which is the Hispanic area. And a little bit dangerous, and and I um, uh, oh by the way my my father uh, uh, had the car towed back to New York and <laughs> it got fixed okay and Probably he wasn't very happy. It cost a fortune. <laughs> he wasn't real. Oh, yeah, he wasn't real happy. And so, so I, what happened that summer was I I drew a really bad uh, number in the draft lottery, and so I called the people at Reed even though I turned them down. It's a liberal arts college in Portland. And I, and I said, you know, I need a school to go to. So they said, all right, we'll let you in again. And so well, early September in the morning, I'm in front of the Nichiren Shoshu Temple on Market Street with my cousin George, with a couple of mentors. And and they gave me a Gohonzon, Zone, which is a scroll. It's a beautiful Japanese scroll. And it's got beautiful symbols on it, like infinite mind, uh, interdependence, Uh, uh, you know uh, oneness of spirit these kinds of things and 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 I put it in my in my backpack and I said goodbye and I took the Marcus Street bus I got to the Golden Gate uh, Park and I walked across the park pretty long walk and I got to the foot of the Golden Gate Bridge and I walked up on the left on the ledge and um, it was really thick cloudy it was pretty early morning and a uh, deep fog, and I couldn't really see more than say three feet in front of my nose. And I got to the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge, and at that time they just had very low um, uh, fencing, like waist high, between the walkway and then this ledge. And if you were on the ledge, you could jump into the into the San Francisco Bay below. And so I, I heard this sort of. Slight rustling to my left, and I looked, and I squinted, and I saw the contours of the face of this young man who looked like the person I'd seen in my dream. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, and he, and I said, I truly hope that you're not planning to jump. And then he started screaming because I'd interrupted him, you know, and 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 it was unbelievable. He was saying life is empty nothingness. He was quoting Macbeth. He was a pretty thoughtful guy. But I don't know if he was drugged out or not, but he was he was very on the edge, and he was leaning out, and he was going to jump. And then I said, look, I don't want you to jump. And he said, why not? And I said, let me tell you this story. And I told him all about this. I told him about the dream at St. Paul's. I told him about Yale. I told him about the, 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 the job, the fight at home, uh, the Mercedes, leaving it uh, with a note to the Pennsylvania police, and it's uh, the whole nine yards took me about a half an hour. I was very quiet and calming when I told him this. And then he said, so you're crazier than I am. And I said, yeah. But,
0: <laughs> but you took his mind or yeah. his sadness or distress at the moment, and somebody right. cared enough to spend time. And that was a turning point for that young man. And, yeah. and, and you, for me. And, and for me. Okay, for you, because you knew the dream. It was real, yeah. and you knew you were guided to do this, and you understood uh, yeah. God's infinite mind. And uh, yeah, yeah. F- it was just a, a, um, like a foretelling of your destiny and purpose yeah. to help people. Yeah, yeah yep.
1: beautiful. So, yeah. So I told him. I told him. I said, look, um, if you step over the fencing, I'm going to give you something. I pulled the Cajon Zone out of my backpack. And I said, I'm going to give this to you, and it's going to change your luck. You're going to have so much luck, you know, all your life. <laughs> so the Buddhists are into that luck thing. And and so he actually came over the over the fencing, and I opened the scroll, I explained it to him, and I and he was his name was Harry, and I said, Harry, I want you to take this, and I want you to. I gave him a few bucks. I said, I want you to walk down to, to the foot of the bridge, go across the park, take the bus, and here's a note to my cousin George, Four Chenery Street, dear cousin. <clears throat> this is Harry. He needs a shower. Please let him sleep where I slept and take him down to the temple to meet Gus and all the people there. And, uh, and so we we waved goodbye, and I went north on the bridge. And as I went north on the bridge, just like in the dream, all of the clouds, all the fog, all the silvery mist—it all just completely evaporated, and there was nothing but bright blue light.
0: Mm. And I was headed up north. There was your north. blue angel.
1: That was my blue angel. <laughs> So, so I never, I was never the same after that because I, I thought, I thought, you know, Cheryl. I mean, this dream had occurred when I was 15, and it was two years prior to this bridge event, and it was 3,000 miles away, and so it convinced me that somehow. Like, time is a mystery. Like, you know, some people say, the physicists, that we... There is no such thing as time. It's all no, time there's is.
0: there's no time and space, only in this physical world that we're creating with our mind or thoughts. Mm-hmm. Beyond here, in the realm of eternal energy and life, uh, there's no time wow. with anyone wow. at any time. Yeah. <laughs> Just as your thoughts guide you, it is incredible. Because in meditation, yeah. I've been in that space. And my consciousness, I was just a small speck of life, like an atom of life. And I knew it was me. I knew everything mm-hmm. about me, but I i was only this small speck of, of um, life. And there mm-hmm. I was in the unconscious, call it the non-local void. Uh, mm-hmm. And we are so much more than we appear to be in this physical world and our experiences transformative experiences like you had uh, showed you possibilities and the possibilities are just endless but i want to go on to kathy chaplin of highview residences who cares for alzheimer's patients in london and canada uh... she she writes mind as Stephen g post so beautifully points out is more than tissue neurons and matters sharing his three decades of experiences with those he refers to as deeply forgetful people Stephen shares that we can see that our souls remain whole despite the advance of deep memory loss
1: so i i I don't think that anybody with dementia is ever you know gone absent a shell a husk i think as you're saying underneath the neurological deterioration and the difficulty communicating there is still a fully intact being and and in psychiatry there are a lot of studies of what they call terminal lucidity. People with end stage Alzheimer's for Mm -hmm. example who haven't spoken for months or even years and suddenly they will be lucid. They'll be able to have insights into who they are, into their life story, and it's really pretty, uh, pretty amazing. So we don't understand it yet, and some people try to explain it, and they say, "Well, it's just uh, um, you know a, a, a little bit of brain tissue that's still firing," but that doesn't make sense. What we're really recognizing is that that who we are is eternal, Yes. and 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 and, and once we acknowledge that then we can care better for these people because we realize that, you know what, grandma's still there. Yeah, the
0: brain is our physical life, and and the mind that you talk about is our eternal connection to, to the universal life force. And they're not quite the same, but yet they're needed, both are needed for us to fulfill our destiny as soul beings having a physical life. So what would you like readers to take away with them after reading your amazing book, God in Love, on route 80?
1: Well, um, when I was a young person, uh, I had a dream, and I wasn't sure if it was just my mind kind of making it up in a desperate search for meaning, you know, kind of a crazy detour. but But I thought maybe it meant something and in the end i truly believe that it that it did and when that angel said if you save him you too shall live i pretty much spent my whole life trying to live that out you know trying to be reasonably kind and generous to people and i i you know done wonderful things and had great opportunities i've worked in medical schools for 35 years at chicago and michigan and case and stony brook and You know, I just serve.
0: You've had a wondrous life journey because you were born to do what you had to do and fulfill that, uh, helping that young man and your Mm -hmm. dream, and you embraced it. You see, many people are given opportunities to live this way, but they run from it out of fear. So you embraced it, and you've had a wonderful life learning more and more about who you are and what life's about and spirit. And to me, it's the greatest gift in my lifetime that I've learned that consciousness survives gift, and I have conquered many of the fears of my childhood. And mm-hmm. original patterning, and you, you you found the same thing along the way and it's a gift it is such a gift of the universe. so I want to thank you, Professor Stephen G. Post, author of God and Love on Route Eighty, for a wonderful merging of spiritual, religious, artistic, and philosophical philosophical insights into how to listen to and create an extraordinary life experience by being aware of the universal mind and connection to all living beings to read more go to com. yeah steven with a ph yes okay yeah. in summarizing today's episode of healing from within we have discussed an interesting dream That captivated a young boy's heart, mind, and soul, encouraging him to explore his inner needs and pay attention to the messages of the universe, God, the divine, whatever people seek to call it, as he sought to find the life that best suited his proclivity for infinite healing love and a purposeful, not necessarily materialistic lifestyle. He traveled across the country on Route 80 all the way to San Francisco, where he finally met up with the dream he had been having in those earlier years. And you wrote, From the Park he started to walk towards the Golden Gate Bridge, and it was going north. You walked along the wide pedestrian path. You could only see about eight feet above the thick silvery mist, and there you saw the boy you saw in your dreams when he glanced to his left, and he was staring intently downward. All was quiet. I think you knew in that intent An intense moment, the boy's eyes and those of the youth met. You met his eyes. And then the boy spoke softly. I really and truly hope you don't plan to jump. And Harry said, why not? Life is just nothingness. And then desperately shouting at the top of his lungs across the miles of empty space, he impressively recited Shakespeare's monologue about despair. Life is but a walking shadow. But you and I don't see it that way. <laughs> really? so we see it as a great uh, dream of possibilities. You helped that boy, and you had helped to help that boy from mm-hmm. many in spirit. And uh, so we would like our listeners to know, Stephen and I would have you pay attention to your own intuitive nature and dreams, and try to follow those instincts that lead you to knowing yourself better, to happiness, and being of service to others, and being free of some of the pain and suffering of the world. The noise of the outside world does not have to dictate what you deem valuable, purposeful, and useful to your own soul development. Trust the plan, be courageous, and live life boldly. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing from Within, and invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to read about and listen to the miraculous journeys of authors, visionaries, spiritualists, medical practitioners, psychologists, educators, as we explore the multidimensional source of eternal life. Shows may also be heard on DreamVision7Radio.com and WebTalkRadio.net. Thank you.